Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 84 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt. Those of you who download the podcast regularly will know that it's been a while since I released an episode. I'm sorry for the delay. Life has been a bit hectic for me recently, but now I'm back with an episode in our continuing series on the different types of scene. And I've also been busy with some preparatory work on other episodes that I hope to bring you in the next few weeks. And these include an interview with the editor Anne Perry from Hodder and Stoughton, some episodes with expert insights on writing the love scene and the action combat scene. Now, these are both areas where I don't feel I can do justice to the material with my own knowledge. So I'm going to have a guest join me to provide some expert comment and insight on these subjects. And I also hope to bring you an episode soon, which I've provisionally titled Inside the Publishing House. I'm going to be interviewing a range of people from a publisher, editors, marketers and salespeople, and I'll be putting their collected insights and comments into an episode so that we can all get an insight into how publishing houses work and what we should expect as writers when we engage with them. Now, in the meantime, for this episode, I've been looking at another type of scene, the closing scene. And I've been thinking about how a good closing scene works, what it needs to achieve and how it can leave the right impression with the reader. So let's start by asking the question, what do we want to achieve with a closing scene? Now, in the context of this episode, what we're really talking about here is the final paragraphs, perhaps even the final chapter of your book, rather than just the last paragraph or the last few lines. And the other thing to mention up front, of course, as well, is that what you might want to actually achieve with your closing scene depends an awful lot on whether you're telling a standalone story or this is just the final scene of a book within a series of books. In either case, you want to give the reader as good an experience as possible in those last moments of your story. You want to make as much of an impression, a good impression on the reader as you can, so that they will have a great experience and remember a great experience from reading your work. And they're more likely to go on and read something else of yours and be an advocate for your work to others. So let's have a look at both of these kinds of final scene, starting with the standalone story. So let's suppose you've worked through the six stages of story and you're coming to the close now, the resolution stage. Now, don't worry if you're not very familiar or very sure about what I mean with six stages of story, because I'm going to give you a quick look, a quick summary of those six stages as context for looking at the last stage, the resolution in this episode. So briefly, the six stages of story are these. First stage, the start of the story is all about three things, grabbing your reader, setting out your stall for the story that you're going to tell and preparing for your inciting incident. The second stage is that inciting incident. This is the moment where the real story kicks in. I think it's best understood with examples. So here are three quick examples, courtesy of the website nownovel.com. The inciting incident in the first book in The Hunger Games is that moment when Katniss's sister's name is drawn and Katniss comes forward to take her place. In The Wizard of Oz, the inciting incident is that moment where Dorothy is whipped up in the cyclone and taken to the land of Oz. In the first Star Wars film, the inciting incident is that point where Luke Skywalker gets the mysterious message from Princess Leia. So all of these are inciting incidents in the story. It's like lighting the blue touch paper, ready for the story to really take off. 
The third stage is the momentum stage. And this is that part of the story where the plot develops, the characters develop, and the action rises and falls. But the story gradually unfolds and moves towards the final stages. And it moves specifically towards stage four of the story, which is the crisis. And the word crisis here doesn't necessarily mean everything's gone wrong and it's all a disaster. In fact, the best way to think of the word crisis, this stage four of story here, is to go back to the roots of the word crisis. It's an ancient Greek word, actually, and it refers to making a decision. And that's a good way of thinking of that fourth stage of the story. This is the point where characters have to make choices and they have to take actions to bring themselves to the decisive moment in the story, which is stage five called the climax stage and that often is a battle it doesn't have to be a battle but whatever happens the point about stage five the climax stage is it must be full of meaning it must be the clash of two opposing desires two worldviews two forces that can't coexist this is the point where they come together in some kind of impact and once that climax has resolved itself by whatever means, we're into the last stage of story, the sixth stage, which is the resolution, where we see the consequences of the outcome of the climax. Now, in his book, Story, Robert McKee talks about three things happening in this final stage. First of all, any subplots which are still going should be tied up. Secondly, we should show the wider implications of the result of the climax. And finally, we should let the audience catch their breath and come down, as it were, from the tension and the drama and the suspense of the climax. So to give you some examples of this, in The Lord of the Rings, in this final stage of the story, we see Hobbiton reclaimed and we also see a very poignant moment where Frodo departs on a boat into the West. And in this resolution stage, we usually see some context again, just as we saw in the first stage. But this is a new context. It's almost as if we're saying this is how the world is at the beginning of the story and this is how it is now at the end. This is the new order of things which has been brought about by the climax. If you want to really understand a little bit more about the six stage story process, I recommend that you go back and start with episode 34 of the Creative Writers Tool Belt and then listen to episode 36 and then each episode through to episode 44. And if you listen to all of those and think about what's being said, you'll get a really in-depth understanding of how the six stage story process works. Now, I personally don't have three objectives for the end of a story. I've got five. They are all connected, but I'm splitting them out to just talk about each one of them individually. These are the objectives. First of all, tie up any subplots that are still running. Secondly, show the wider implications of the results of the climax stage of the story. Third, let the audience catch their breath and come down from the tension, drama and suspense of the climax. Fourth, finish on time. And I'll explain what I mean by that. And fifth, keep it real. Let's look at those in a little bit of detail. First of all, tie up the subplots. So first, you'll need to tie up the plot lines of your story. And like so many other principles in creative writing, this is not so much about there being an absolute right or wrong, but more about making a judgment, pitching your work on a spectrum. And that spectrum stretches from saying at one extreme that there's almost nothing to close off your plot lines. Things close down very quickly and suddenly end. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got quite a lot of exposition about the resolution, quite a lot of discussion of what happened to the characters and what they did next and what the world's like now, and quite a lot of information which is drawing the story to a close. 
So you see, you've got that spectrum of how quickly you finish off. And I think the best place to pitch your closing scene within that spectrum is not at one end or the other, but somewhere in the middle. So for example, the closing scene is not the point at which to introduce new characters out of the blue or new plot lines or new adventures. Writing for writersdigest.com, Brian Clem says this, the one rule of the resolution of your story is that no new expositional information may enter the story once it's been triggered. If something appears in the final act, it must have been foreshadowed, referenced, or already in play. And that includes characters. You can surprise the reader, and it's a good thing to do so at the end, but you have to satisfy them as well. What you're aiming for is a story with a conclusion which has the reader saying something like, of course, it was there all along, I just didn't see it. And that's the judgment you need to make. I suppose a good way and a brief way of thinking of it is to say, you have to resolve this story, but you mustn't start any new ones. Let's move on to the second challenge with the closing scene, showing the wider implications of the conclusion, but doing it briefly. Now, this point is very much connected to the first one. It's fine to give a hint of how the new world might look, but I think it should be limited to a hint. In The Lord of the Rings, for example, we have a hint of what the new regime will be like. In Pride and Prejudice, we see a hint of the world with Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy finally together. But we don't need to know anything more than those hints, quick outlines of how things should be. The third point, bring the audience down safely. And this is more about the stylistic and structural aspects of your closing scene. That final scene isn't just about content. It's not just about tying up loose ends of your plot and dispatching your characters to the rest of their lives. You should give attention to the stylistic issues as well. The ending usually comes after the climax and the reader needs to come down, as Robert McKee says, from the drama and the tension and perhaps the violence of the climax scene. And as that story winds down, the structure and tempo of the story should complement that. Things should be calming down. But again, there's a judgment to be made here. This is not an excuse for rambling exposition. Things should be finished off with clarity and brevity, poignancy, and maybe even some humour. If your characters are reflecting on the story, don't let them spend too long on it. If you as the writer are reflecting, keep the reader engaged with some concise observations. Now, as a great example, let's look at the beautiful and amusing sketches that Jane Austen gives us at the end of Pride and Prejudice. This is a good example of how to use brevity and humour to wrap things up. Here are the last few paragraphs of that book. Miss Bingley was very deeply mortified by Darcy's marriage, but as she thought it advisable to retain the right of visiting Pemberley, she dropped all her resentment, was fonder than ever of Georgiana, almost as attentive to Darcy as heretofore, and paid off every arrear of civility to Elizabeth. Pemberley was now Georgiana's home, and the attachment of the sisters was exactly what Darcy had hoped to see. They were able to love each other, even as well as they intended. Georgiana had the highest opinion in the world of Elizabeth, though at first she often listened with an astonishment bordering on alarm at her lively, sportive manner of talking to her brother. He, who had always inspired in herself a respect which almost overcame her affection, she now saw the object of open pleasantry. Her mind received knowledge which had never before fallen in her way. By Elizabeth's instructions, she began to comprehend that a woman may take liberties with her husband, which a brother will not always allow in a sister more than 10 years younger than himself. 
Lady Catherine was extremely indignant on the marriage of her nephew, and as she gave way to all the genuine frankness of her character, in her reply to the letter which announced its arrangement, she sent him language so very abusive, especially of Elizabeth, that for some time all intercourse was at an end. But at length, by Elizabeth's persuasion, he was prevailed upon to overlook the offence and seek reconciliation and after a little further resistance on the part of his aunt her resentment gave way either to her affection for him or her curiosity to see how his wife conducted herself and she condescended to wait on them at Pemberley in spite of that pollution which its woods had received not merely from the presence of such a mistress but the visits of her uncle and aunt from the city with the gardeners they were always on the most intimate terms, Darcy as well as Elizabeth really loving them, and they were both ever sensible of the warmest gratitude towards the persons who, by bringing her to Derbyshire, had been the means of uniting them. And so Pride and Prejudice finishes, and it finishes on time, which is my fourth point. It's easy with a closing scene, especially one that has characters being reflective, to not finish promptly enough. This is an important point in terms of leaving the reader with the right impression. Make sure you finish promptly so that your reader doesn't lose interest. You don't want the reader's final impression of your book to be that they were bored. Finish promptly and succinctly. That way their final impression is a sense of closure, the excitement of the story and the poignancy of the end of the book. Finally, keep it real like of course you should for the rest of your book. So what does that mean? It means keep your ending as authentic as the rest of the story should be. No deus ex machina popping out to make everything unrealistically lovely. Don't make everything too neat. Don't make everything all lovely and tidy at the end because life isn't like that. The story concludes but none of us are in heaven yet. Poignant, realistic end can be very powerful. Frodo's departure over the sea to the west is a poignant and moving and authentic finish. And if you've read The Hunger Games, think about the damaged but wonderful authentic intimacy of Katniss and Peter at the end. So as you would for the rest of your story, keep it real. Now all of this is fine for the close of a story that is a standalone, but what about the closing scene of a book that is one in a series, not the last one? there are a couple of additional factors to consider. Now, obviously, in this case, some of the plot lines don't tie up, but you're aiming for so much more than just ticking some of the boxes when it comes to the ending of a story within a series. I think the best closing scenes for a book in a series are the ones where there is not simply unfinished business. In fact, the resolution of the story is a key factor in the next story. So, for example, in the Harry Potter series, the final scene of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban J.K. Rowling provides us with this very moving look at how delighted Harry is to at last have some family in the form of Sirius Black, his godfather. And it also points to Sirius's importance in the next book. Here are the last paragraphs of that book so you can see what I mean. Harry looked eagerly inside the envelope. There was another piece of parchment in there. He read it through quickly and felt suddenly as warm and contented as though he'd swallowed a bottle of hot butterbeer in one go. I, Sirius Black, Harry Potter's godfather, hereby give him permission to visit Hogsmeade at weekends. That'll be good enough for Dumbledore, said Harry happily. He looked back at Sirius's letter. Hang on, there's a PS. I thought your friend Ron might like to keep this owl, as it's my fault he no longer has a rat. Ron's eyes widened. The minute owl was still hooting excitedly. Keep him, he said uncertainly. 
He looked closely at the owl for a moment, and then to Harry and Hermione's great surprise, he held him out for Crookshanks to sniff. What do you reckon? Ron asked the cat. Definitely an owl. Crookshanks purred. That's good enough for me, said Ron happily. He's mine. Harry read and reread the letter from Sirius all the way back into King's Cross Station. It was still clutched tightly in his hand as he, Ron and Hermione stepped back through the barrier of platform nine and three quarters. Harry spotted Uncle Vernon at once. He was standing a good distance from Mr and Mrs Weasley, eyeing them suspiciously. And when Mrs Weasley hugged Harry in greeting, his worst suspicions about them seemed confirmed. I'll call about the World Cup, Ron yelled after Harry as Harry bid him and Hermione goodbye, then wheeled the trolley bearing his trunk and Hedwig's cage towards Uncle Vernon, who greeted him in usual fashion. What's that? he snarled, staring at the envelope Harry was still clutching in his hand. If it's another form for me to sign, you've got another... It's not, said Harry cheerfully. It's a letter from my godfather. Godfather, spluttered Uncle Vernon. You have got a godfather. Yes, I have, said Harry brightly. He was my mum and dad's best friend. He's a convicted murderer, but he's broken out of wizard prison and he's on the run. He likes to keep in touch with me, though. Keep me up on the news. Check I'm happy. And grinning broadly at the look of horror on Uncle Vernon's face, Harry set off towards the station exit for what looked like a much better summer than the last. So as you can see, with the close of a book in a series, yes, you're certainly closing down some plot lines, you're doing some tidying up, but it's also a great opportunity to give the reader an introduction, give the reader a taster for what is going to come next. Now, the second thing to consider with these closing scenes is that whilst they tie off the story arc for the individual story, they should also contribute to the overall story arc for the series. Closing scenes are a balance of these demands, closing off the story arc of the particular book that you're working on, but also making an introduction and a promise into what's coming next. And in fact, we see a good example of this at the end of The Fellowship of the Ring, where Frodo and Sam, having left the Fellowship, are now preparing to go on together. This is how J.R.R. Tolkien finishes that first book in the series. So Frodo and Sam set off on the last stage of the quest together. Frodo paddled away from the shore and the river bore them swiftly away, down the western arm and past the frowning cliffs of Tolbrandia. The roar of the great falls drew nearer. Even with such help as Sam could give, it was hard work to pass across the current at the southward end of the island and drive the boat eastward towards the far shore. At length they came to land again upon the southern slopes of Amonhlaw. There they found a shelving shore and they drew the boat out high above the water and hid it as well as they could behind a great boulder. Then, shouldering their burdens, they set off, seeking a path that would bring them over the grey hills of Emin Mule and down into the land of shadow. So you can see how J.R.R. Tolkien balances the closing story arc of that first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, with the developing arc of the whole series. So let's summarise the points that we've looked at in this episode. The closing scene needs to do a number of things. It needs to tie up any subplots that are still running. It needs to show the wider implications of the result of the climax. And it needs to do it in a succinct and engaging way. It needs to let the audience catch their breath and come down from the tension, drama and sense of the climax. And it needs to do that in terms not just of the content of the story, but also structurally. It needs to be concise and finish on time. And finally, that closing scene must retain 
the authenticity of your story. So keep it real. Now for the closing scene of a story in a series, remember it isn't just about keeping some of the plot lines open while some of the others are tied up. Use the closing scene of one story to foreshadow what is to come. And remember to balance that closing story arc in that one story with the developing arc of the whole series. So today I have quoted from or referred to the following works. Brian Clem's writing on the website writersdigest.com, The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, published by HarperCollins, The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins, published by Scholastic, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, which is in the public domain, Story by Robert McKee, published by Methuen Publishing, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban by J.K. Rowling, published by Bloomsbury. So that's it for this episode. I'll be back with more interviews and insight on the subject of specific scenes very soon. But until then, thank you again for listening and goodbye. (music) 